Support for this podcast comes from Outdoor Supply Hardware, inviting listeners to OSHA's big anniversary sale celebration, May 20th through the 26th, featuring daily deals, $15,000 in giveaways, 20% off store-wide on Saturday and Sunday, and a lot more. Learn more at OSH.com. Hi there, I'm Randa Fattah from ThruLine. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org podcast. That's donate.kqed.org podcast. From KQED. Hey, what's up? I'm Erica Cruz Guevara, and you're listening to Prop Fest, a special series brought to you by The Bay and our friends at Bay Curious, where we call up our smart reporter friends here at KQED to help us break down the props that we'll be voting on this fall. Today, we're zooming into Proposition 29, the dialysis prop. Here's how it looks on your ballot. Prop 29 requires an on-site licensed medical professional at kidney dialysis clinics and establishes other state requirements. Feeling deja vu by chance? You're not imagining it. This is the third time since 2018 that average Joes like you and me have been asked to decide how dialysis works in the state. And the questions seem to be the same. So today, we're going to get into why the question of dialysis seems to keep coming back and unpack what Proposition 29 would do. Stick around. Do you love learning about the San Francisco Bay Area? Its history, its people, its unique blend of cultures? Then you should check out the Bay Curious book. I'm Katrina Schwartz, editor and producer on the Bay Curious podcast, and I'm here to let you know that for the month of May, we've worked out a sweet deal for KQED podcast listeners. Right now, you can get the Bay Curious ebook for $1.99. That's right, $1.99. Just search for Bay Curious wherever you get your ebooks or find a link in our show notes. This offer does expire at the end of the month, though, so you'll want to act on it fast. Happy reading! Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. Today, I'm going to pass this one off to Bay Curious host Olivia Allen Price. KQED science editor Kevin Stark is here to help us dig in on what is going on with Proposition 29. Kevin, thanks for stopping by. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Let's take a closer read on this one. What exactly would Proposition 29 do? So Prop 29 is aimed at improving care at the dialysis clinics in California. There's roughly 650 of them, and this would impose new regulations and rules 
The biggest significant change here is that it would require that there be some kind of care provider on site with patients as they're receiving treatment. That's a change from how it works now. There are technicians on site at all times, and there's doctors that supervise, but they only come in occasionally, and there isn't one always in the building. If you're not familiar, dialysis is for people with kidney failure. Our kidneys clean toxins from our blood, so when they're not working, people need dialysis treatment to stay alive. Patients usually go three times a week, and the procedure lasts three or four hours. So being on dialysis is really disruptive to someone's life, even more so if they're having to travel to a clinic far away. Kidney failure is caused by a number of health conditions, but most often diabetes or high blood pressure. Because people of color are more likely to experience those conditions, they're more likely to be on dialysis. Proposition 29 is going to feel super familiar to people who have voted in previous elections here in California, because this is the third time that voters are being asked to weigh in on how dialysis clinics should run. Kevin, why do we keep seeing dialysis on the ballot? You're absolutely right. Californians voted on this twice recently, Proposition 8 in 2018 and Proposition 23 in 2020. Behind the scenes here is a labor dispute. SEIU, UHW West, is one of the largest healthcare unions in the state, and they have been trying for nearly a decade now to organize workers at dialysis clinics. The major companies that own these clinics, DeVita and Fresenius, have pushed back on this effort, and in fact, they've dumped tens of millions of dollars into fighting all of the propositions. If you talk to the companies, they will tell you that this is the unions really kind of putting the screw on them. They're trying to bleed them of money. Uh, This is all about that fight for unionization. And if they were to come to an agreement on that, that maybe you wouldn't be seeing the propositions. So basically, in a nutshell, they're arguing that the unions are taking advantage of California's proposition system. The unions have a completely different view of this, obviously. They say this is about improving the care for patients. You know, uh, they say that they, after the last propositions failed, they went back, they listened to the criticism, they actually talked with researchers to figure out ways to improve the policy, and this is the result, Proposition 29. I asked SEIU's David Miller to respond exactly to the criticism that this is not about the clinics, but it's about a larger fight over unionization. We're a movement of workers and also of patients, and we seek to improve care across the spectrum. We are seeking to do stuff in the broad interest. So, you know, this is not about some narrow play to sort of get dialysis. We see this as actually part of our mandate that we want to improve staffing these clinics. So is Prop 29 the same thing we voted on in 2020? The no on Prop 29 campaign would argue that this is a carbon copy of that policy. And they say that voters have already rejected it. Not entirely true. There is a core idea here that is really the same. And that's, you know, having a physician or a care provider on site at all times when patients are receiving care. There's not a lot of difference there. There's a lot of smaller nuances and changes in the the edges of this policy. The union expanded the definition of care providers here. It used to be that it was exclusively doctors. Now it's nurse practitioners as well as physician assistants. Also, capitalizing on the pandemic and this expansion of telehealth, there's also a stipulation in here that if there was no one available to be on site, they could have someone that, you know, a doctor or a, or a, a nurse that's available over telehealth. 
A key question here is, does having a physician or nurse practitioner on site at a dialysis clinic make patients safer? KQD health reporter April Demboski had something interesting to say about this in our PropFest episode from 2020, which is the last time we voted on a similar measure. So healthcare is complicated, and it's hard to know if this would really help patients or if it might have unintended consequences. So patients already have their own doctors. They come see them in the clinics once a month or once a week to check on their dialysis prescription and medications to monitor their labs. And researchers have studied whether the frequency of doctors' visits makes a difference in patients' health. Back in 2004, Medicare, the government health program that pays for most dialysis treatment, created a new incentive to encourage doctors to visit their dialysis patients more often. So instead of one or two times a month, it pushed them to visit four or more times per month. Well, after more than 10 years of doing this, it turns out seeing your doctor more often has no impact on health outcomes. In fact, patients who were seen less often by their doctor actually had better survival rates. So the government was paying doctors more money for more services with no conclusive benefits to show for it. Kevin, what would happen in the event of an emergency? You know, I imagine having a physician or a nurse practitioner there would be a good thing. That is exactly the argument that the unions make. You know, in an emergency, let's say a patient faints, their heart stops. If that happens while they're in the clinic, someone has to perform CPR, call 911 to have paramedics take them to the hospital. Advocates say having a doctor, a nurse practitioner, or physician on site would absolutely help here. But it's worth noting that this proposition moves in the opposite direction of a lot of other health policy changes that have happened recently. You know, generally, California and the rest of the nation have been changing laws so that physicians aren't having to do everything. There's sort of been this wider recognition that a lot of healthcare duties don't require the expertise of a doctor or a nurse practitioner. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. And I think if you talk to the companies that manage all these clinics, they would say, you know, you don't need a doctor in the clinic to perform CPR and to call 911. This is something that a technician can do. And then I think the addition of the telehealth argument into this proposition might be a way for the union to try and get around this idea itself. Like, uh, you know, I think they're saying basically, okay, maybe you don't need someone on site, but you need someone that's there that's supervising. And then I think I would also note that the clinics do have doctors that work for them. They just don't happen to always be on site. Now, there are a few other regulations in this prop that aren't getting as much attention. Uh, Tell me about those. So the unions added that clinics would need to report any infection that happens during treatment to the state. You know, the companies say they already are required to do this. Individuals without insurance would not be able to be denied care. Again, you know, the companies say that it's not something that happens. Clinics would have to report additional information to state regulators, and they would also actually have to get the consent of state health officials before they would close a clinic. One thing the No on 29 campaign has been saying in campaign ads is that these new regulations could cause clinics to close. Is that a real threat? Well, I think that's the argument that the companies that run these clinics are making. State analysts project that it would cost them hundreds of millions of dollars to comply with these regulations if they were to pass. Here's Brian Wong, who's a medical director for DeVita in Oakland. He says clinics there might actually need to close. Those that are in the rural areas are probably even worse because those in the rural areas 
they probably have a huge amount of uh, Medi-Cal-only patients. And those are the patients that are at most risk of getting harmed. Why? Because the density of dialysis clinics in rural areas is much, much less than in, in urban areas. So I would just temper that and just keep this in mind about any talk about clinics closing, is that the companies that run these dialysis clinics are, by and large, hugely profitable businesses. And if their costs do increase, they likely would pass them on to insurance companies or find other ways to make it up. I'm curious, how do dialysis patients feel about this proposition? There's a key argument against Prop 29, which is basically that healthcare is just incredibly complicated, that the regulations should be crafted by lawmakers in a very nuanced way. And, you know, putting that responsibility onto voters with a really blunt instrument like a proposition is just not the way to do it. April, when she was reporting on this, uh, you know, she talked to one patient, Dwayne Cox, and he made this point explicitly. When I see these propositions that are put before the voters who have no idea what we go through and what's necessary to to keep us alive, it makes me angry because they're, they're playing politics for whatever their reasons are, but they're putting patients like me in the middle of it. I want to transition us now to talk about campaign spending. What do things look like for Prop 29 right now? Wow, expensive and completely lopsided. In the first week of September, when we're recording this, DeVita just dropped $28 million into the No on 29 campaign. The companies had already spent you know, tens of millions of dollars on this. SEIU is putting up some money on this as well, but it's really just a fraction of what DeVita and, and Fresenius have spent. So it's interesting that the, the union is, is pushing on this, keeps pushing on this topic, but then gets outgunned every time on, on the funding. You know, if you're looking at it from the sort of uh, coarse political lens, like this is where uh, the leverage on the union fight is. Like this is now the third time they've done this. Each time the companies are dumping in tens of millions of dollars to fight it. And that's a check that they are going to have to keep writing until they, they sort this out. All right. KQED science editor Kevin Stark, thanks. Thanks for having me. In a nutshell, a vote yes on Prop 29 says that you want dialysis clinics to follow these new requirements, including having a physician or nurse practitioner on site while patients are being treated. A vote no would keep things the way they are right now. That's it for today's episode of PropFest. If you're just joining us, be sure to check out our other PropFest episodes in our podcast feed and be sure to subscribe to The Bay so you don't miss out on the next episode. PropFest is produced by Alan Montecilio, Maria Esquinka, and me in partnership with the good folks at The Bay Curious Podcast, Olivia Allen Price, Katrina Schwartz, Amanda Font, Darren Tu, and Brendan Willard. For more help with voting this November, check out KQD's online voter guide, which has a bunch of helpful information on all of these props and more in one place. KQED.org slash voter guide. Tell your friends. I'm Erica Cruz Guevara. Thanks so much for listening. Talk to you next time. Hi, 
I'm Sasha Koka, host of the California Report magazine. Every week, we bring you stories about what connects us in the giant, diverse Golden State. Because what happens in California changes the world. I love this place. We were once seen as, like, the place to be California. The land of milk and honey. That's where you go to Sunshine State. But we just have challenges right now. KQED's California Report magazine. New episodes drop every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid. And I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just what we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio. It was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support.